Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it on the, gr- on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made a man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be his God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. Well, when I was in seminary, I had to do uh, something called mentored ministry. And uh, for mentored ministry, we had to go and serve in another, either a church or a nonprofit organization. And uh, we had to work there 10 hours, and we could do various things depending on what we were uh, majoring in and what, you know, God was calling us to. And uh, if you know me at all, you know that I'm pretty quiet. And uh, if you don't know me that well, you might think, well, you know, I come to church every week and you're speaking in front of people. Um, but if you see me at a party, I'm usually off to the side, um, just kind of by myself or talking to a couple people. Uh, I tend to be quiet. So for this mentored ministry, I thought I would be a little adventurous, and I would go up to New Hampshire to a church and people that I've never met before and stay in different strangers' houses each weekend. So I did that, and I drove an hour and a half each weekend and would stay in a different stranger's house, and that was very uh, stretching and interesting for me, Uh, especially the one particular house that I stayed in was a finished barn or partially finished barn, and they warned me about bats. Uh, being up there. But the task I was called to, they wanted me to start a college ministry. And uh, at the church, there were four college students, I think. And uh, most of them were related to the pastor. Uh, one of them was interested in having, doing anything you know, related to you know, church or anything outside of Sunday morning. So basically, I spent a number of weeks with this one student who happened to be the pastor's son. And uh, I did things like play video games. And for some of you, that might sound like a great thing, but I don't really like video games at all. And I'm pretty sure I was very bad at them. So I'd just go up and play video games with this one kid and try to get things going, but it was a struggle. 
And from the outside, and even from the pastor's perspective, and, and probably at least somewhat from my perspective, you know, we're wondering, like, God, you've got the wrong guy. You've got the wrong guy that's going to drive up here an hour and a half, stay in strangers' houses, and start a college ministry with complete strangers. And I, I think Moses is pretty much saying the exact same thing in this passage. He starts off with seemingly legitimate concerns and wonder about what God is calling him to do. But it gets almost to the point where he's being unreasonable. Yet God graciously gives Moses assurances that he's going to be with him and that his plans will be successful. So remember, he says, God says, who am I that you would send me? And God says, you're you're nobody, but I'm going to be with you. My presence is going to be with you. I'm going to guide you. He says, well, what about if they ask who you, who you are? What's your name? And God says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Tell them that Yahweh has sent you. They say, well, what if they don't believe me? And God reiterates to them, or to Moses, that they will believe. That these elders will believe. And then, God, then Moses almost openly, defiantly says... They won't believe. Starts off verse, chapter 4, verse 1. says, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So God says, They will listen. Moses says, No, they will not listen. Almost openly defiant. And yet God still gives him some signs and assurances of God's presence with him. And so he says, What's that in your hand? And Moses says, It's a staff. God says, take it, throw it down to the ground. And Moses does that, and it becomes a snake. And I think the text is kind of humorous. as It says that Moses was running away from the snake. The snake is chasing Moses around. And then God says, take it by the tail, pick it up. And Moses does that, and it becomes a staff again. Now, that would have been significant because a snake handler, if you're going to try to handle a snake... To control a snake, you'd probably grab it by the head. Because if you have the head, it can't bite you. But maybe God is trying to test Moses' faith here. And he says, grab it by the tail. And he does that. It becomes a staff. Now, I think there might be some more significance to this sign than first meets the eye. So we have two things in this, in this uh, first sign. A staff and a serpent or a snake. Now take what I have to say here with a grain of salt because it's not crystal clear in Scripture. It's based on some background knowledge and interpretation. So take it with a grain of salt. But I think there's some powerful symbolism that God is using here with Moses. So look at the picture here of one of the ancient pharaohs or the statue of the ancient pharaohs. If you see in this picture, you see two things. You'll see a serpent and you'll see a staff or a scepter. Now, the serpent on his crown represented the god, uh, the Egyptian god Wajet. And Wajet was considered to be the protector of lower Egypt, a protector of the pharaoh. And some of the mythology related to Wajet was kind of interesting. Uh, according to Encyclopedia Britannica, and this might sound a little bit familiar, Wajet was the nurse to the infant god Horus and helped Isis, his mother, protect him from his treacherous uncle Seth when she took refuge in the Delta Swamps. So in other words, Wajat protected this baby Horus, who was under threat of death, while his mother was in the swamps. Sounds pretty familiar to the story 
of Moses' mother hiding him and, and God protecting him when he was in the bulrushes. So I think with this symbolism, I think that God maybe is indicating to uh, Moses that I will be with you just like Mo- the Pharaoh has his protector, I will be a protector to you. But then we have the staff, the scepter. And in the hands of Pharaoh, the staff or the scepter indicated power or authority. The Egyptians used hieroglyphics, and the word for to rule had the scepter in it. The scepter was a part of the word to rule. And so God gives the, or Moses has this staff, and the staff is described in Exodus chapter 4, verse 20, as being the staff of God. And the staff is going to be used not just for this sign, but it's going to be used throughout the book of Exodus. In other words, this staff is going to have some symbolic significance as we truck through the book of Exodus. It's not just this one sign. So, for example, when you get to the plagues, for five of the ten plagues, it indicates something related to the staff. So, God will tell Moses or he'll tell Aaron, stretch out your staff. And then this plague will come on the earth. Stretch out your staff, and the gnats will come and devour the earth. For example, in Exodus 10, verse 12, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. We see later in Exodus chapter 17, Israel is fighting against uh, the forces of Amalek after they uh, go out from Egypt. And he raises his staff. And when he raises up his staff, the enemies, or the Israel is winning. But when he lowers the staff, Israel is losing. But this staff is different than kind of the staff of the ancient magicians. It's not a magic wand, so to speak. It's an instrument of God that's given to Moses. And this instrument of God is not something that Moses can do to manipulate God. We see later in the book of Exodus, the people are thirsty. He takes the staff and he strikes the rock. And then God you know, judges him for that, speaks out against that. It's not something that he can use to demonstrate his own authority. It's something that God gives him, that God tells him when he's supposed to use it. And then we have to ask ourselves, so why does God do this? Why does God give him this staff? I mean, he could have just said, Moses, I'm going to bring this plague. Uh, Just pray to me or wave your hands or, or whatnot. He could have done this in any number of other ways. So why does he use the staff and why does he use it in this way? Before we get there, I think we need to remember that Exodus, in essence, is a battle not between Israel and between the Egyptians. It's a battle between Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt and the true and only God. And remember in the ancient world when an ancient king or Pharaoh would win a battle, it would often be attributed to the strength of his hand. So Pharaoh defeats the Amalekites or the Midianites. It's because of the strength or the might of his hand that he, that he won the battle. And so throughout the book of Exodus, we see kind of a fight between God's hand and the hand of Pharaoh. 
In chapter 3, verse 19, that we looked at last week, God tells Moses the Pharaoh will not listen to him unless he's compelled by a mighty hand. So think about this for a moment. So we saw the statue of the Pharaoh. And you imagine Pharaoh is holding his scepter or his staff in his hand. And we don't, I don't know exactly how he would use it, but if it's a symbol of power and authority, you would assume that as he's holding that scepter, he would use that scepter to give out commands. He'd say, go and fight against the, you know, this particular army. Go and build this settlement. And he used this uh, scepter as a means of showing his command. And so, in other words, he would stretch out his hand to give a command. And then God tells Moses, stretch out your staff and I will do this thing through you. And so I think that throughout this story, God is trying to demonstrate to Moses and to all of Israel and to Egypt for that matter, that his hand is stronger than the hand of Pharaoh. That as Moses stretch out, stretches out his hand as a symbol of God's hand, he's showing that God, the true God, is stronger than Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. So God gives Moses this sign, a sign of his power, a sign of his presence, a sign of his strong arm, and this promise that he'll be with him. And then he gives him another sign. He says, take your hand, put it in your cloak, and then take it out. When he takes it out, it's white to Texas. It's leprous. We don't know exactly what disease, it ha- what disease he had. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to indicate leprosy, but he had some Severe skin disease where his hand turned white. And then he puts it back into his cloak, takes it out, and he's healed again. According to one commentary that I read, when this disease is described as being inflicted on someone as a punishment, it's described as being inflicted on a, as a punishment for pride. Later in the book of Numbers, Miriam and Aaron speak out against Moses and look at the punishment that God inflicted on Moses, or that God inflicted on them. Numbers 12:10 says when the cloud removed from over the tent behold Miriam was leprous like snow and Aaron turned Miriam toward Miriam and behold she was leprous So the second sign may have been a sign that God was going to bring judgment upon the pride of Pharaoh who was so uh, prideful and so proud that he thought that he was God himself that wanted the gods So the second sign may indicate that he's going to bring uh, judgment on the pride of Pharaoh Then he gives one third sign. He says, if they don't listen to these first two signs, uh, take some water from the Nile and pour it onto the ground. Now, the Nile was a very important river for the Egyptians. It was kind of the source of their prosperity. Uh, There was very little water in that area. There was a desert. It's still, you know, Egypt is still dependent upon the Nile even today. They receive very little water, uh, rainfall, so they're dependent upon the water. In addition, each year there would be a flood of the Nile and the Nile would overflow and the silt that was in the Nile, the black silt would go upon the crops and would kind of fertilize the crops and make them uh, produce more crops. So because of the importance of the Nile, there was kind of a lot of mythology related to the Nile. Many of the gods were associated with the Nile in some way. And so in this sign, God may be indicating that he's in control of Egypt's source of prosperity. That just in a second, he can take what is so important to the Egyptians and turn it to blood. That he can take their prosperity and their wealth and their source of control and turn it into 
a wasteland. So these three signs, first, that God is going to give his authority and protection to the Moses, symbolizing the staff. Second, that God is going to bring judgment, perhaps, on the pride of Pharaoh. And third, that God is in control of of Egypt's prosperity. So after these signs, Moses still has concerns. And he says, I'm slow of tongue, of speech and of tongue. Now, we don't know exactly what this meant. We know that Egyptian magicians were often known for their good speech. And they were often served as advisors to Pharaoh. So maybe he felt like he wouldn't fit in into the Egyptian culture. That he wouldn't fit in with Pharaoh. That he wouldn't be able to speak intelligibly to Pharaoh. But then God says, who has made man's mouth? Who made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Now you would think that after all this, finally Moses would surrender. He'd seen the burning bush that wasn't consumed. He'd stood on holy ground. He'd heard the voice of God. He'd been told the, names of God, the name of God. He'd been given the plans of God. He was given all these details about how everything was going to work. He was given these signs. And he was shown the power of God throughout all this. But once again, Moses has another excuse. First he had said, they won't listen to me. Second, he says, I don't have good speech. And then finally, Lord, just send someone else. Oh, my Lord, just send somebody else. And after this, God is angry at Moses. He is justly and rightly ticked. He's shown Moses all of these things. And still he says, Lord, send somebody else. So what can this story tell us today? What can this, how can we apply this story to our lives Thousands and thousands of years later. I think it applies to us in this way. Sometimes refusing to believe in our own abilities is really refusing to believe in God's abilities. Sometimes refusing to believe in our own abilities is really refusing to believe in God's abilities. See, it sounds spiritual to doubt our own abilities. I'd really like to serve in this ministry. I just don't have the skills I don't think that I could learn. I don't have the knowledge. I'm just not good with people. I just don't know what I'm doing. I'd love to share my faith, but I, I don't know what words I would say. I don't know enough about the Bible. I might, you know, things might not work out the way that I want it to. I might be a poor representation for Christ. I'd love to be able to give, but I just don't have that much money. I'd love to be able to serve others, but I just... I don't have the time. I'm too broken. I'm too flawed. I I just can't do it. I'd love to, but I just can't. See, it sounds a lot better for Moses to say, I'm not eloquent. I'm not good with words. Please send somebody else for him to say, God, I don't really believe that you can use me. God, I think that I'm too broken for you to use me. God, please just send somebody else. It sounds a lot more spiritual to doubt our own abilities than to doubt God's abilities. Sounds a lot better to say I'm not qualified, I don't have enough money, I'm too broken than to say I don't believe that you can do what you say you're going to do through me. Really, that's a form of pride. We don't want to verbalize it that way. It's easier to blame it on ourselves. But really, are we not limiting God? Are we not failing to take God at His word? Are we not saying, like Moses, God, send somebody else? 
Now, that doesn't mean that we walk around prideful and cocky and arrogant, saying, I can do anything that I want. No, as Christians, we realize that we're broken. That without Christ in our life and without God's Spirit, we can do nothing of eternal significance. I mean, that's not the point. But there's a difference between having confidence in our own abilities and having confidence that God can use us. And this passage teaches us that we should never tell God that we can't do what He's made us to do. He says, have I not made your mouth? Have I not made your mouth? He's saying you can't do this. And I'm the one that made your mouth. And and you see the kind of humor of this whole story that God has done so many things in Moses' life to bring him up to this point. I mean, we looked at the story about how Pharaoh did everything in his power to destroy the Israelites. He said, told the midwives, when a male comes out, kill him. That doesn't work. He says, any male child, throw him in the Nile. And so God has arranged the details so that uh, the daughter of Pharaoh would find him so that he would be raised in the Egyptian home, so that he would have an education, so that he would be the person to lead God's people out of slavery. And yet after all this, Moses is like, you've got the wrong guy. I'm not the one for the job. Send somebody else. And God even recognizes his weakness. God has provided him somebody else to go with him. He's provided Aaron, who would be a mouthpiece for him. So that doesn't mean that we're strong in everything, that we need to do everything by ourselves. God will put people around us to support us, encourage us where we're weak. Because there's some things that you know maybe we're weak in and somebody else is strong in. And so God puts us together in the body of Christ to carry out his mission. And God does the same thing with Moses. He's, he knows that he's not a good speaker, so he gives him Aaron. But God can use us for what he plans to use us for. He can do with us what he's made us to do. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, says this. He says, Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair and all kinds of family problems. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was eccentric, to say the least. Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. And Timothy was timid. Warren says that's quite a variety of misfits, but God used each of them in his service. He will use you too if you stop making excuses. So we see this story of Moses where God comes to him, he reveals himself to him, shows him these signs, and yet after all this, he says, God, send somebody else. And finally, somewhat reluctantly, he goes. But then there's another story in Scripture of, uh, in Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see a kind of similar story, but in some ways different. And God appears to Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died. And it says, the train of God's robe filled the temple. And we see that the ground is shaking. The smoke, is filled, smoke fills the temple. And angels are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And Isaiah sees this sight. He says, I'm 
I'm undone. I am finished. I've seen the Lord and I can't handle the glory of the Lord. I'm going to be consumed. But then an angel comes and puts a hot tongue, a a hot coal on his mouth to symbolize that his guilt is atoned for and that he's forgiven. And then we see an interesting kind of dialogue that God asks. God is kind of talking amongst himself. The members of the Trinity perhaps are talking. And God says, Whom shall I send? And who will go for me? Who shall I send? Who will go for me? And then Isaiah hears this. And he says, Here I am. Send me. I'm over here. I'm right here. I'm ready to do what you've called me to do. And I think that's the choice that we have today. When God speaks to us. When God calls us to do something. On the one hand, we can be like Moses. And we can say, well, I, I don't speak that well. They probably won't listen to me. And we can give all these excuses why we can't do it. Or when God speaks, we can be like Isaiah and say, here I am. I don't know the details. I don't know what it's going to entail. But I'm saying yes to you today. Whatever it is, for however long, I'm going to walk forward in obedience, knowing that you're going to provide for me, knowing that you're going to equip me for what you've called me to do. That's the choice. Lord, send someone else. Here I am. Send me. Sometimes refusing to believe in our own abilities is really refusing to believe in God's abilities. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you're gracious with us even when we fall short, even when we make excuses like Moses did. You're gracious to show us favor, to even give us evidence of your presence, Lord. And Lord, as we walk through our lives today, Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to do what you've called us to do. That we wouldn't have a faith in our own selves, that we can do anything in and of ourselves, but we would have a strong faith that you can do whatever you want to do through us. That if you could use all these people that we looked at in Scripture who had flaws, who were broken, who were not qualified, that you can use us for your purposes, for your glory, to do whatever it is you've called us to do. God, we thank you that you didn't leave us in in our sins that you promised us that you'd never leave us or forsake us. And that while you could do whatever you want to do on your own, you choose to use us, broken people, for your glory to accomplish your purposes on this planet. God, we thank you for the opportunity and the privilege it is to know you and to be used by you. In Christ's name I pray.